This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. The Modern Architect features one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. Our show informs and illuminates the transformation that architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. And now, introducing the host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. Our guest today on The Modern Architect Show is Corin Crawford, CRE. Corin is the Executive Vice President of Griffin Swinnerton and Counselor of Real Estate. He's also an accomplished investment professional and entrepreneurial leader with nearly a 20-year track record of varied and profitable development, financing and advisory experience with utilities, ports, school districts, cities, and private real estate investors. For more information, feel free to visit the website of griffinswinnerton.com. Again, griffinswinnerton.com. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com. Hello, Corin. I'm really uh, really honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show. Thank you very much for being here. Tom, great to be here as well. Um, really excited for our conversation here. If we talked in our, in, uh, prior to the show, Corn, is how did you know if you knew and, and how young were you when you were going to do you know, what it is that you do as a, uh, in the capacity in the built environment? Is it something that you backed into, you kind of were called to? I'm curious to, to hear, and I'm sure your audience is, how you yeah, begin your, uh, your, your, your journey. Completely. Um, I, I love the question. And if it, I will not, it, it is not something I was called to. Um, and as you talked about it, like something that you backed into, that mm-hmm. really speaks to the language that you hear in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, sort of just sort of backing into uh, something. And, you know, to be honest with you, it also reminds me of a core quote that I, another mantra, you know, that I really live by. It's actually uh, a Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu. And he says that he who defines himself can't really know who he is. And so what that means to me, that is such a beautiful quote that can be interpreted in many ways. But for me, what that really speaks to is, and, and what I resonate so much with is, you know, like just act, you know, like your actions, how you show up in the world, the energy that you put in forth, the things that you gravitate towards in the world will be revealed over time. And, you know, I'm really big on experience, right? Like over contemplation, over experience, over kind of, you know, years of time studying yourself, developing a body of work. The evidence of that reveals itself to you. And if you study that and you say, listen, these are the things that I really gravitate towards. These are the, this is the energy I put out in the world. These are the things that make me move, make me excited. It's a contemplative, introspective kind of um, process that you go through to look at and observe what, who you are over time. 
that really speaks volumes. So I love that quote because that's how I've come to this work that I do. It's, I've not been sort of like premeditated in all of it. It was just almost like I walked through the world and the things that gravitated towards me gravitated towards me. And as I've, you know, looked at and, and, and kind of, you know, reflected upon the things that I've done, um, I've seen that, you know, I, I've got a couple of, the, you know, I, I've synthesized that and I've got a couple of things that, that I know that I do just by virtue of the fact that, like, this is what you do. This is who you are. This is how you revealed yourself. Corin, as I've talked to you and, and uh, got real, get really excited about is you're also a double E at Stan- from, from Stanford. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite favorite major although that's not my it wasn't not my major but my experience is i find that the the double e majors are just very very thorough and interesting that you introspective it because it's it's interesting because it's so so exacting but yet there's it's not fully defined share with us why you chose a double e and and, and how it how it uh matters and means a lot to you all right well kind of a little bit of that is life story uh in a lot of ways so i grew up in Palo Alto. I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, you know, full life story is that, you know, obviously, you know, young uh, African-American young man growing up in the 70s and 80s of the Bay Area. My, you know, like I started out in East Palo Alto and then my parents moved to Palo Alto when I was 10 years old. And 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 all that time, my mom went to Stanford. You know, my mom was a grad student in Stanford. My my dad was in the Silicon Valley when Silicon Valley was defined by semiconductors and products that actually you know use silicon <laughs> um, as their as their as their as their sort of you know under underpinning um, substrate, if you will, to. Uh, to, to, to develop economic prosperity. Mm-hmm. So I had these parents that were very much involved in technology and computers. And, um, and my background really was like, I was born in Stanford Hospital. You know, I was, um, my first job was a, a, you know, to work over the summer in, as like a, as like a, as like a, you know, like a, you know, uh, somebody, you know, like a food server who was working in Stanford dorms, helping out when, when people were having kind of like summer events and summer workshops and all of that sort of thing. So Stanford is like imbued in my blood. I went to Stanford um, sports camps. I, you know, had friends of mine who were professors and faculty kids of people at Stanford. So it's really in my blood. And so, you know, having a parent who went to Stanford, having me go on to graduate school at Stanford, um, you know, it, it is really very much a part of me in a lot of ways. Uh, having gone through high school with, with that being the backdrop of where mm-hmm. you hope to, to be. So, that that's how I like to describe like how double E came into my being is that I've got these engineering parents. I've been, um, I've got, 
you know, years and years of experience working as a summer intern in the technology industry in the 90s and just being really fully enmeshed in the whole culture of what established what Silicon Valley is today from somebody who grew up in it years and years ago. Excellent. And I share with you as well, I'm from San Mateo, California. I grew up in San Mateo during the 70s and 80s as well. Indeed. What... It's a bit of a baited question, although you know we've we've just met Corin. But what do you feel that growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically the Peninsula, in the seventies through the eighties yeah, and nineties, sure. what? How do you think that has kind of sept, seeped into our kind of being as people and professionals? Mm-hmm. From your perspective, love the question. So, I honestly think that Palo Alto and the Peninsula and the San Francisco Bay Area is one of the most fascinating areas of the world, right? And particularly, and especially in the United States, because we are a juxtaposition, we are a hodgepodge of all these different types of pioneering mindsets. If you think about the political activism that was in San Francisco and Oakland in the 60s and 70s, with respect to like the hippie generation got started in San Francisco and Haight-Ashbury. The Black Panther movement got started in Oakland in the 70s. Like this is an area that is not new to pioneering um, ideas. And the people who moved to Stanford were before Silicon Valley and the tech industry was this incredibly lucrative, high potential global industry in and of itself. It really attracted people who were genuinely very intelligent and very originalist in their thinking without a sense of, is this lucrative? Is this something that's going to make me billions and millions of dollars? It was like this sort of like originalist, intellectualist, creative group of people who, you know, gravitated towards Stanford and really defined the broader thought of like how to be creative and how to invent new things in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley and beyond. So I think that all of that um, DNA, if you will, like really speaks to the peninsula and San Francisco and the East Bay at large. And so you got these people who really were originalists. They were creative. People knew that what they had to offer was going to help and change the world. And and then, you know, 40 years, fast forward 40 years, there's an incredible um, new, I shouldn't say new, but there's this incredible industry of technology and innovation that the whole world wants to emulate. But it started with people who weren't really focused on money or weren't focused on, um, on I, I would say, even capitalism for sure. It was just like people who thought that they could make the world a much better place by taking their um, their their brains and their more naturalist ethos into the modern world. And, and to be raised in the 70s and 80s in that environment was amazing because people were so open to all types of new ideas. So to be someone who was raised in that, you were really, 
you know, imbued with this sense of like anything is possible. Nothing is holding you back. Um, yeah. Outstanding, outstanding response. The best I've actually ever heard on, on the topic. This is the Modern Architect at KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Corin Crawford. Corin is the Executive Vice President of Griffin Swinnerton and Counselor of Real Estate. For more information, feel free to visit the website at griffinswinnerton.com. Again, that's griffinswinnerton.com. Corin, if you would be at liberty to share some of the projects that you're most recently working on, I'd love to, love to hear it. Yeah, happy to. So... Um, I'm working, I lead a company that is at the intersection of infrastructure and real estate. Right now we hear a lot about infrastructure because the last three, four presidential administrations were all about how can we supercharge our economy by further investing in real estate. We've got a lot of images of the Eisenhower administration in the 40s and 50s investing in the highway system that really shaped and shifted America. And we invested in 20, 20th century infrastructure that paved the way for our 100 years of economic prosperity. And the thinking is, what, what, how can we reinvest in 21st century infrastructure that will pave the way for the next 100 years of pro economic prosperity in America and, and from a global perspective? So I'm at the intersection of that thinking around infrastructure. How do we reinvest in our infrastructure? And when we think about how that juxtaposes with real estate, the conversation really comes to how do we also think about the ways in which we can equitably create more prosperity for more and more people in our communities by investing in this infrastructure and how that impacts office development, residential development, hospitality development in ways that are more open to all types of people. So that's kind of like in a nutshell, it's hard to explain, but that's kind of in a nutshell what I do. Infrastructure at its base but with an understanding of how infrastructure investments impact communities and cities writ large, whether we're talking about San Francisco or Los Angeles or Sacramento or New York or Hong Kong or, you know, uh, Medellin or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Budapest or whatever the case may be. What's your thought or even experience on working directly with cities in a in – a I want to say mayoral capacity, because uh, I've got a real strong belief that if uh, city mayors and not just uh, were had a background in in the built environment, specifically with an architect or an engineer or, or a, a builder, that it would serve the city very well if that's who the primary uh, leaders of a city had that uh, background or that bent. What's your thought on that? Okay, so try to restate that for for me for a second. Sure. If you had if you had a, a mayor level, a vice mayor level, that the, it was somewhat not a requirement, but that the, at that top level of leadership in a city, that you had uh, a person or people who have a background in the built environment, specifically architecture, engineering, or building. If they had that background as a mayor, that it would actually serve the city. Um, it may be more effectively, rather than just you yeah. know a, a political. What, what's your thought on that? Just on a, that. 
Yeah. Um, well, like you count corn as mayor of Palo Alto, imagine. Yeah, that. sure. I, absolutely. Well, okay. So a little background is that um, I now live in Southern California. Um, I live in Santa Monica and Los Angeles region and moved here six and a half years ago. I used to live in the Bay Area and spend most of my, you know, my, my professional career in the Bay Area. Uh, Palo Alto, Mountain View, Oakland, San Francisco, all of these different places, Menlo Park, all those kind of places are, are, are kind of my, my roots, my genesis. But I moved to L.A., and I moved to L.A. to lead infrastructure and public-private partnerships for the city of Los Angeles. So was kind of in the room with the mayor of L.A. and in the room with the CAO, who is equivalent to the city manager of Los Angeles, as major decisions were made for billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure projects in a city like Los Angeles. You know, what I like about Los Angeles is the scale. Um, Four million people in the city of Los Angeles. Second largest city in the country. First largest city, Los Angeles, I mean, New York, eight million people. The county of LA has 10 million people. So, you know, sort of you know, one quarter of all the people of California live in Los Angeles County. Four million people live in the city of L.A. Oakland as a city is 400,000. So think about uh, the city of L.A. being 10 times the size of Oakland. It's the scale is massive. And that's the, what I like to think about. So I was at the helm of infrastructure and 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 public-private partnerships for the city of a scale like that. And it's no small matter to think about when you're thinking about it at that scale. And so to advise mayors who are thinking about these issues, the thing that I actually was in a meeting with Mayor Garcetti at the time, and I, and, and I mentioned that the... the choice of doing nothing, the choice of not acting, the choice of not making a decision is as loud as the choice of making a decision. Mm-hmm. So like we do not get to defer decisions that, um, that are pressing, that are challenging because, um, you know, if we defer these decisions, people can draw conclusions and they in fact will draw conclusions about the deferral of the decisions as they do the decision that you're actually making. We, I can make that concrete. You know, that's very kind of high level, but we can make it concrete if you, if you had some follow-up. Wow. Is that also by, on purpose that you chose, you, you love that scale of, of, a, of a populace to put your uh, skill set and your leadership and your team together to work with that? Yes. I mean, definitely, I think the scale is important when you're talking about infrastructure and, um, and just general built environment issues, which is what I do. Um, because what, that was the thing that almost like, you know, I, w- I became enamored with L.A. as a region because of its scale. I was a Bay Area. I look, I born and raised, as, you, as we've talked about at the beginning, yes. Palo Alto, Stanford. Um, you know, Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland. I lived in all of those places, and I was very much like, I'm an L- I'm a Bay Area person. I'm not going to move to L.A. and form roots in L.A. I'm not going to be down here very long. I'm just going to try this new uh, 
you know, work and then move right back to the Bay Area. And that was my thinking. And I became enamored with L.A. because of the scale, the conversations. Look, I mean, the Bay Area has the smartest people on the planet. Stanford, Berkeley, the broader Bay Area. Those are the smartest people, the most innovative person, people in, on earth. And, 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 it's, and you get a lot of benefit from that. But what you don't get the benefit of by living in the Bay Area is scale. You get the benefit of scale in New York City, 8 million people, and you get the benefit of scale in the city of Los Angeles. And so certain conversations sort of accrue to you by living in those areas by the scale, regardless of how smart you are. And so that was what was interesting about living in L.A. or even just traveling to New York is that there's certain conversations that are happening in these regions that do not happen in the Bay Area by virtue of scale and scale alone, regardless of like how smart and innovative you are. Outstanding. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. Our public service announcement for uh, Corin's show today is for Fuse Corps. Fuse is uh, dedicated to freeing the country from the social and economic barriers to opportunities that have been perpetuated by a history of systemic and institutionalized racism. We, They partner with local governments and communities to more effectively address pressing challenges by placing experienced professionals in local government agencies. The FUSE Executive Fellows lead strategic projects that are designed to accelerate progress and advance racial equality. For more information, feel free to visit their website at FUSECorp.org. Again, that's FUSECorp, C-O-R-P-S dot org. We're talking today with Corin Crawford, Executive Vice President of Griffin Swinnerton and Counselor of Real Estate. For more information, you can visit or feel free to visit his website, their website at griffinswinnerton.com. Corin, with the uh, architecture and construction business evolving, yeah. specifically in, during the uh, pandemic, the expectations for architects, engineers, and uh, builders evolves as well. What's changed in your experience over the last, say, say two or so years? Well, that's a great question. Um, I really think that what's changed is how the world is not, the world and economies are not defined um, by, by large scale regions as they were before. So for instance, like many cities throughout the world experience very similar pathways and trajectories, regardless of what country they're in. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a part of an organization called the Counselors of Real Estate, and we talk to chapters in Europe and Latin America and Canada and North America and in and, and the United States. And what we find is that there's so many similarities between being within a major metropolitan region and then the outlying suburbs and smaller cities. And those economic trends and factors influence themselves in, in lockstep with each other, regardless of what country you live in. 
So if you're in, you know, Frankfurt or whatever or Berlin and you have this metro major metropolitan center and the things that you experience as the epicenter of that metropolitan region and then the suburbs of that region and then you could like compare that to what's going on in Vancouver or LA or San Francisco or Hong Kong or Tokyo or you know Malaysia or or Kuala Lumpur or you know Lima Peru you know all of these places sort of like start to demonstrate very similar patterns so that like we're not so much defined by country or even state as we are by metropolitan center we're we're more defined by cities throughout the world as we are through localized economies wow so you you, could, you yeah that you know just to follow on real quick is like you you by having a de- a great experience of understanding how the built environment works in the bay area could transport that experience to you know different places in south america or asia and have a general instinctive understanding of how those economies work um by that experience more so than you would by understanding how the country writ large works. Wow. So do you think growing up where you grew up also influences, um, obviously we have maybe wherever our, our parents are from or great grandparents are from, but also the very cities that we're from influences as a culture itself. Yes, I do. Definitely. I think that the, I, um, was incredibly blessed to grow up in the Bay Area in a time where, you know, my parents used to describe it where it was just sort of like the love movement in a lot of ways, right? Like there was a lot of love and a lot of possibility. And so I really grew up at a time I think where um, where there was a lot of um, nurturing and a lot of thinking and possibility about, about like what you can and should and how the world can be and what you can attain that is inspiring and and I think that we need more of that today. Um, I am a huge fan of the Bay Area, not only for what it is as, as it's present day, but to be honest with you, more so by what created the present day. So the Bay Area is this really great place, but I don't think that it was create, that the, what is nice about the Bay Area was not, is not, is not like what it currently is. It's more like what created the, the conditions for it to be such an open-minded, innovative place. And the conditions for creating the Bay Area into what it is was really established in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so I grew up in sort of mid-70s to in the 80s, and my parents really kind of settled in the Bay Area in the 60s. And I really do feel like that kind of period of sort of 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, those sort of three decades created the conditions for the Bay Area to be what it is today. And so if you really immerse yourself into the ethos of what it was like to be in the Bay Area in those times, 
you know, history is, you know, in a lot of ways uh, predictive of the future. So if you really immerse yourself in the history of, of what that is, then it really starts to translate to what we currently experience. So I, that's how I think about like the Bay Area. Outstanding. Really, Corin. Corin, what would you like to share uh, on your show today um, that we may not have uh, talked about that you, you've got a top of mind or you'd like to share? You know, um, that's, that's a great question. I, uh, you know, I'm, um, I, I think that, um, the thing that I would want to share would be that, um, it's really important to, you know, kind of like love where you are, love your place and advocate for it. So like I'm a little bit of a person who loves the Bay Area and I advocate for the Bay Area. I'm a person who loves L.A. and the region of L.A. and I advocate for it. So that sort of means that I love California. Sure does. And, you know, like (laughs) there's a lot of thinking right now, a lot of people who are looking at the California as a place that's tough to do business. Um, It's got so many taxes, it's got so much regulation, it's got so many things that are going on in it. And so there are other regions of the United States that are growing pretty rapidly that are more quote unquote business friendly. And that all might be true. No, no doubt there that might all be true. But like, I think that there's a point in time where you put a stake in the ground and you say, this is what I do. This is what I love. This is what I represent. And so like, I really know what I do, you know, in terms of like how I'm a change agent in the built environment writ large, you know, I mean, broadly speaking, infrastructure, real estate, public policy, all these different issues. And I also really love California as a place that has raised me, that's, that's, you know, incubated me, and that I want to see continue to be this kind of beacon for what can be in, in the world at large. So I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like trying to continue to advocate for it. And I think that like, that to me is really important in the world and in the business. I've had people who said, you are this developer, you're working in the built environment, it's tough. Like, why don't you go on to software? Well, you know, I've, I've been in software and I've said, listen, at the end of the day, like, this is what I do. Um, lastly, I'll say is that, and look, I dr- I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to delve into political waters, but like, I really gravitated towards something that Peter Thiel said not too long ago. And he said, like, you know, most people need to really dig into, like, what they do. You know, families 100, 150 years ago were like, we're locksmiths, we're ironsmiths, we are musicians, we are, as a family, are rooted in a certain field. And we cultivate over multiple generations what it is that we do. And so, like, I think that there's some wisdom in that. And so I really think that, like, eventually people need to confront, like, this thought of, like, what it is that I do. What do I, what energy do I put forth into the world? And 
with the shifting winds of time that can draw you from different things to different places, you got to like have anchors to say, yeah, all that stuff is great. It's cool. Maybe I can make a lot of money. But like what I do is this. And you can get a lot of that. You can get you can get go very far with having an anchoredness into like what you think it is that you do. And I'm going to put forth this energy into the world. And I'm going to like contribute in this way. Corin, it's been a true, true honor and pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tom. Again, you know, like... Uh, Love these conversations, and I'm really glad to be on this conversation in this in this moment. Yeah, thank you very much, Corn. You've been listening to the Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Corn Crawford. Corn is the executive vice president of Griffin Swinnerton and counselor of real estate. He's an accomplished investment professional and entrepreneurial leader with a nearly 20-year track record of varied and profitable development, financing, and advisory experience with utilities, ports, school districts, cities and private real estate investors. For more information, feel free to visit their website at griffinswinnerton.com. Again, that's griffinswinnerton.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com.